Once upon a time, there was a shepherd tending his flock during a hot, hot summer. Much of the flock perished, and the shepherd, angry, cursed the sun god. But as punishment for the shepherd's insolence, the sun god infected the shepherd with a nasty disease, which then spread throughout the region. The shepherd's name was Syphilis. Welcome to the first episode of Season 2 of Word Journeys, a podcast about etymology and the surprising stories behind the origins of English words. This is Dallas, coming to you from Philadelphia. This episode will focus on two words derived from Greek names. First, we'll explore the story behind the disease syphilis and how it came to be named for a fictional character, a story which involves both an ancient Roman poet and Christopher Columbus. Our second story will look into a popular form of literature in the Middle Ages, and how a particular comic romance led to a common word today. Stay with us. Part 1. Syphilis The geographical origin of syphilis is uncertain and is still debated today. Some think it originated in the Americas and was brought to Europe by participants in Christopher Columbus's voyages. Others think it already existed in Europe, prior to Columbus's voyage, and was unrecognized before its major outbreak. This has been a scholarly debate since the 16th century. The first major instance of what was recognized as syphilis occurred in Italy at the end of the 15th century. King Charles VIII of France invaded Italy and besieged Naples, seeking to claim the throne of the kingdom. Charles eventually retreated, but not before a major outbreak of a devastating disease. The disease then was much more gruesome than its current version, and I'll spare the gory details. Because it was associated with the invading French troops, it became known in Italy and many other parts of Europe as the French disease. As it spread throughout Europe, the mysterious and terrifying disease went by many names, which often attributed the infection to other nationalities and reflected contemporary geopolitical rivalries. The French, for example, called it the Italian disease. The Dutch called it the Spanish disease, and the Russians called it the Polish disease. In English, it was known as the French pox, or the Great Pox. Later on, it was called the venereal disease, after Venus, the Roman goddess of love and sex, a term which can now refer to any sexually transmitted disease. It was the first sexually transmitted disease known to Europeans, and as a result, infection carried a huge negative moral connotation. The coinage of the term syphilis can be pinpointed with reasonable accuracy, and the usage begins with the Italian scholar and scientist Girolamo Fracastoro, who lived in the 16th century. Fracastoro was particularly interested in epidemiology and infectious diseases, and he determined that diseases not only could be transferred from person to person directly, but also indirectly through other means, such as clothing. He imagined that agents or seeds for infectious diseases worked the same way as kindling worked for fire, and that kindling could remain dormant in linen or other fabric. His seminal work on the subject was called On Contagion, and his theories were influential for centuries afterward. But Frecastoro also had another big interest, poetry, and his interests in poetry and diseases were perfectly combined when Frecastoro in 1530 wrote an epic poem he titled Syphilis, after its central character. Syphilis was a strange work, 
In its style, it was heavily influenced by Latin epic poetry, and especially that of the ancient Roman poet Ovid. Ovid wrote an epic Metamorphoses, a poem about mythological transformations and origins. For example, a story about how a particularly self-involved youth named Narcissus was transformed into the Narcissus flower. Girolamo Fracastoro, it appears, was interested in finding the medical cause of syphilis, and to supplement that, he thought up a mythical origin for syphilis as well. The poem consists of three parts, and the action is set in the Americas, where Fracastoro thought syphilis originated. It does everything a proper epic should. It begins with an invocation to amuse, a dedication to a contemporary literary role model, and it has a clearly stated purpose, to find the cause of the terrible disease. It does contain some fairly dry medical passages, such as going through a detailed description of the symptoms and the ingredients of elaborate medical concoctions useful in combating it. I'll summarize the main action. The Spaniards arrive in the New World, eventually reaching the island of Haiti, which Fracastoro calls Ophira, drawing a comparison with the wealthy land of Ophir mentioned in the Bible. Upon landing, the Spaniards kill many parrots using their superior technology, and one of the birds brings curses upon them, a future of war, storms, and disease. After this inauspicious beginning, they meet the local inhabitants, who, by the way, are refugees from the lost colony of Atlantis. But many of the local inhabitants don't look so good. They're suffering and covered in ulcers. The Spaniards realize this is the disease the parrots spoke of, and they ask what it is. The local chief tells the story about how, in an ancient time, there was a shepherd named Syphilis, who was tending the flocks of King Alcithous. During a hot summer day, many of Syphilis's flock perished, and he cursed the sun for his cruelty, and sacrificed to his king and not to the sun. King Alcithous let this go to his head, and soon made the entire kingdom sacrifice to him instead of to the gods. As punishment, the gods unleashed a nasty, infectious disease, and the first victim was, appropriately, Syphilis, who instigated the whole affair. Ever since then, the disease bore his name. But not all is lost, because there is a cure for the disease, the Guayac root, which is native to Haiti. This reflected Fracastoro's belief that the cure for the disease would, naturally, be found in the same place as its origin. So the etymology of syphilis goes back to the name of the shepherd character. Even though this legend was supposed to have taken place in Haiti, syphilis is a pretty Greek-sounding name. Remember, he's from the lost tribe of Atlantis. Fracastoro was clearly well-versed in classical literature, so it's worthwhile to investigate how he came up with this specific name that set such a long etymological afterlife. There are a few different theories for how the name syphilis was coined. First, it might be a combination of two roots, the Latin word sus, meaning pig, and the Greek philos, meaning loving. Hence, syphilis would mean pig-loving. It's not uncommon in Greek and Latin literature for shepherds to have names reflecting their occupations or the pastoral world. But it is a little surprising that the name would combine a Latin root and a Greek root, which wasn't typically done. A second theory is that syphilis is a variant form of Sipilus, which is a character that appears in Ovid's Metamorphoses, in the Niobe myth. In Greek mythology, Niobe had 14 children, and boasted that she had way more children than Leto, 
the mother of the gods Apollo and Artemis. In retribution, Apollo and Artemis killed all of Niobe's children. The slaughter is depicted in dramatic fashion in Ovid's Metamorphoses. One of these children was named Sipolis. Niobe, stricken with grief, was transformed into a rock located on a mountain which was also called Sipolis, located in modern-day Turkey. In choosing this name for his central character, Fracastoro would draw a comparison between Niobe and his shepherd Syphilis, who both challenged the gods with devastating results. A third theory posits that the name was influenced by another figure from Greek mythology, named Phyllis, who hung herself in grief and was changed into an almond tree. This selection would imply that syphilitic symptoms and open sores make the syphilis sufferers look like an almond tree secreting resin. Perhaps the name Syphilis combines the characters of Syphilis and Phyllis and contains both meanings. Regardless of its exact origin, the title character of the Syphilis poem transitioned from a proper noun to a common one, and Fracastoro used the term Syphilis in his later writings. This term was especially effective because it gave all of the European languages a common word to describe the disease, and it has been used ever since. And potentially, it is yet another origin, and in a sense, another metamorphosis, that was contained in Ovid's epic poem. For another Ovidian-influenced etymology, stay tuned. Part 2. Pamphlet. There are many English words that are derived from literary characters. For example, a Lothario, meaning a seducer, comes from a seducer appearing in Don Quixote, and the word gargantuan comes from the name of a giant, appearing in the works of French author Francois Rabelais. Syphilis also has this kind of derivation, but the word today is far removed from the original character. Our next word also originates from a literary character, and interestingly, the word has no connection to the attributes of the character at all. Our second story concerns a work of literature written around the year 1200, called Pamphilus, and subtitled On Love. It was written in Latin and was a comic poem, part of a larger literary genre in the Middle Ages, consisting of comic tales and romances. Stories of this type were later adapted by vernacular authors and enjoyed wide popularity. The title character is a young man named Pamphilus, who loved and pursued a maiden named Galatea. This poem was also very much influenced by the Roman author Ovid. Before writing his epic Metamorphoses, Ovid was already famous for his love poetry, and in particular, for a treatise about how to pick up women. One of Ovid's influences on the Pamphilus came in the character of the Procurus, an old woman who served as an intermediary between Pamphilus and Galatea. The names of the main characters are suggestive of their roles in the work. Pamphilus comes from the Greek pan, meaning all, and philos, meaning loving, so all-loving. Galatea means milky white, and refers to her complexion, which would have been seen as desirable, and this was a common name given to maidens in Latin and Greek literature. By all accounts, the Pamphilus was extremely popular, and it caught on throughout Europe. It was very entertaining and funny, but it was also short and easy to read. At only 780 lines, it could reasonably be printed on only a few sheets of paper, which made it easy to share 
and thus added to its quick transmission in the era before the invention of the printing press. By 1344, it had acquired the French suffix et, which means little, and it was called in English the pamphilet, the little pamphilus. By 1415, the word pamphlet is attested, referring to any example of short literature, and not just the pamphilus. This is the source of the modern word pamphlet, which can refer to any short literary work that is easy to spread. Pamphlets later on gained a different connotation, and often referred to religious or political writings. Many other European languages have the same word, reflecting its international influence, but it doesn't have the same connotation in every language. Whereas in English it's a fairly neutral word, in other languages it has the specific connotation of a lampoon or an attack, which is slightly ironic for a word which began with a Greek name meaning all-loving. Now it's time for our Cognate Corner segment, where we consult the American Heritage Dictionary of Proto-Indo-European Roots and find some cognates of our weekly words. Cognates are the etymological equivalent of cousins. They're words which evolved separately from the same source. Recall the theory that syphilis is derived from sus meaning pig and philos meaning loving, to make pig lover. We'll take a look at the Proto-Indo-European root su, which means pig. Su gives us the words sow and swine through Old English. Through Latin, sus gives us the word soil, meaning to defile or to pollute. Finally, su gives us the Celtic root suco, meaning a pig or, more specifically, a pig's snout. This gives us the word hog, and also the word socket. Socket originally referred to the plowshare, the main cutting component of the plow. It was given the word for pig's snout for the similarity between the plowshare digging through the dirt and a pig rooting around. Over time, a socket came to refer to any hollow component that could receive another part. Last season featured some episodes that had word puzzles at the end for you to play along, and here's one for this week. I left out one cognate in the cognate corner. Su, meaning pig, went into ancient Greek also as hus, H-U-S. Can you think of an animal whose English name is derived from the Greek word hus? If you know the answer, write into us through the contact page of our website, and you'll get a shout out on the next show. As a separate challenge, if you can think of any interesting English words derived from literary characters whose original meaning has changed like pamphlet, write in or respond to us on Twitter. Remember, if you like the word puzzles, you can buy a set of them or contribute to the show generally through our Patreon page at www.patreon.com backslash wordjourneyspodcast. And we want to give a special shout out to Lisa Soto Dunlop. Thanks for your support. And special thanks also to Janelle for suggesting the topic for this week's episode. That's it for this week. If you'd like more information, or if you want to access some online sources on our topic, just visit our website at www.wordjourneyspodcast.com. As always, feel free to write in with questions, comments, or suggestions for future topics. We're also on Twitter, at wordjourneyspod, if you want to receive the latest updates. If you've been enjoying the podcast, tell your friends about it. 
and please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes. It would really mean a lot to hear your thoughts. Musical selections in this episode come from Keshko, the Philadelphia String Quartet, Kai Engel, and the Advent Chamber Orchestra. This is Dallas Simons. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.